Clayton Swisher is an American journalist and author, and he's currently working as Director of Investigative Journalism at Al Jazeera. He'll be our final speaker. He's a former Marine reservist and federal criminal investigator. I know you're going to have a lot of questions for him, so please make our ushers, uh, Sebastian and Adrian and Sapphire, work hard for their final half hour. Uh, Swisher's first book, The Truth About Camp Davis, was published to extremely favorable reviews in foreign affairs. In 2011, he used his investigative skills to secure 1,600 confidential documents of the Israeli-Palestinian negotiations, and he broke these for Al Jazeera in what became known as the Palestine Papers, the largest ever leak of confidential documents related to Israel-Palestinian negotiations. Uh, his second book is The Palestine Papers, The End of the Road. Uh, in 2016, uh, Mr. Swisher managed a six-month undercover investigation that produced Al Jazeera's amazing four-part series uh, called The Lobby, uh, including on APAC's activities in the UK, the Israeli embassy's interaction with allegedly independent pro-Israel groups and unfounded accusations of anti-Semitism lodged against Labour Party members. Uh, including efforts to take down UK lawmakers deemed hostile to Israel. Uh, his series, this investigative journalism, led to the resignation of Shai Massat, a senior political officer at the Israeli embassy, and a full apology by the Israeli ambassador for what had taken place. What we want to do in this last section is get as many questions to Clayton as possible, and he's going he's to stand here and answer every single one of them in the time we have left. But we're going to roll, I don't want to impersonate him here, uh, we're going to roll a couple of clips that we selected uh, from his investigative series. Can we do that, Nart? I was actually seeking some reassurance that a two-state solution, if that's what they were promoting, was still possible. We don't have to be very, very careful uh, not to let our uh, 
feelings about their support. So no feelings come to silence. I'm not even to say. I mean, have to be no Don't we all want a two-state solution based on coexistence and peace? I say you have. You are green and I know, and we may have, I don't know, it's thank all you, Jean, I don't know. No, I'm asking you about the settlements, they've totally atomized the whole of the West Bank. I'm asking you, I'm really genuinely interested, how is two-state solution, two solution, but how can it come about if the whole of the West Bank is the activist who came to ask her tough questions about the settlements, actually, that was her main point. She didn't ask her about Judaism or the existence of Israel. She just wanted a straight answer. How does anyone who supports Israel justify the settlements? I was quite interested in whatever funds they had and influence they had, how would this bring about a two-state solution? That was my very basic question. You've got a lot of money, you've got a lot of prestige in the world. I don't know why you get that. Sorry? Why do you go to Israel? You've got a lot of money. Well, I think so. I hear that you know, it's a stepping stone to good jobs. A friend of mine's son's got a really good job at Oxford University on the basis of having worked for Labour Friends of Israel. If you just oh, believe yes. rumours, then it's not a rumour, it's a fact. It's anti-Semitic. No, it's not. It is. It's, 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 it's not. About it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. Sorry, it is. It's not. Anyway, I that's am... my view, and I think we have to agree to differ. No, I don't think we do have to agree well, to differ. I'm agreeing to differ. I want to... I'm ending the conversation, because I am not really... Um, wishing to engage in a conversation that talks about getting involved with this and then you get a good job in the in, in, in Oxford or the city or that evening at a rally to combat anti-semitism organized by the Jewish labor movement Joan Ryan described her day at the stall but we have also had three incidents of anti-Semitic harassment on our stand to the people who are stepping that stall today. And that, I can tell you something about why we need to be having this against anti-Semitism rally. By the following day, word had spread about Jean's exchange at the LFI stall. I am very shocked about the way she described my words to other people. I feel very anxious and that she should be misinterpreting me totally to other people. I find that very, very worrying. Going from my comment, which was what it was, to then saying he got a, a big job in banking, maybe she believes her own trope. After Jean had left the conference, she was contacted by a Labour Party investigator. He would only say that it was about a serious incident. I was thinking, had I seen a fire take place? Had I seen someone throw a bottle? Had I seen a fight break out? I was really racking my brain, thinking, 
what incident had I seen? Was I aware of? Was I a witness to something? And almost by return came an email that it was my conduct that was being investigated. I was totally shocked. That was like a real bombshell. By now, the senior political officer at the Israeli embassy had become a trusted confidant of our undercover reporter. It's quite funky. Yeah, I like this. Yeah, I'd rather go for this one. Shai invited Robin to attend a meeting organized in part by the City Friends of Israel, a group he earlier said that he was establishing. It looks like you got along with Israelis. Yeah, great team. Where can we get along? Yeah, that's amazing how you do that. Hello, sir. Thank you very much. Maria Strazola was also there. Discussion turned to Donald Trump. So he's an unpredictable person. The only thing that you, you, you know you can, I mean, from Israel's perspective, you, you can think that he's like steady in his area. The fact that his daughter is a Jewish, she converted to Judaism. The meeting had been coordinated with AIPAC the American-Israeli Public Affairs Committee, perhaps Washington's most powerful lobby group. It is not widely known that AIPAC has a presence in London. As a European and somebody who lives in the Western world and enjoys its individual freedoms, I also view, and I hope most of you do as well, I view Israel as the battleground where uh, modernity and Western values meet the forces that want to destroy uh, that way of life. Focus campaign. Joe Richards from APAC's Wall Street Division summed up their operations. Today, uh, we're a pretty robust organization where we have one single mission, which is to make sure that the United States and Israel remain very close together in the relationship in many different ways. And the way we do that is by relationship building with our 535 members of Congress, 100 in the Senate, 435 in the House. APAC's guests explained to Robin their interest in Britain. The real strategic goal is to get the UK to behave more like the US than Europe when it comes to Israel. And kind of pull them, tug them into the US sphere. By this point, Robin was well aware of the Israeli diplomats' close ties with America's pro-Israel lobby. I went here to last year because I, I organized the American British delegation to APAC. So it was me and the British donors. There was like around 30, 40 people, which kind of was the sponsor of the CFI, CFI conservatives as well, some of them the labor as well. And we all went together to APAC. But in the bottom line, we have a, a donor meeting with this head of strategy in APAC, and he met us basically to teach us, you know, give us some ideas to Britain. Shai then announced another audacious plan involving a front company set up by the Ministry of Strategic Affairs, whose mandate is to fight BDS. So the Strategic Affairs, they asked me they are establishing a new company, a new private company, that basically would work for the Israeli government. It's like kind of outside company, whatever. The Ministry of Strategic Affairs has called it a secret war potentially involving what this prominent Israeli reporter described as dirty tricks. When I say dirty tricks, they can smear people, uh, activists, BDS activists or others. 
they can um, hack their emails in order to collect information about what they are up to. They can, you know, trash people. It's going to be an office of 20 people, so the position that they suggested to me to do is to be the liaison for the international communities around the world. So it's good sometimes, because you know it's good to work with APAC and the others, and the FISM, and it's good. And the last position that I applied for, that there is a slightly chance I will get, actually, is to be the, the head of the Foreign Affairs Department of the Intelligence Department in Israel. I'm not a, a career. I am political policy so I came just for one position to assist in political issues that specific. Sometimes you need someone to take care just of that, to be focused on that. So that's what I do. At ease and with the trust of his dinner companions, Shai floated the idea of a parliamentary plot. Can I give you some memories that I suggest you take down? Well, you know, if you look hard enough, I'm sure that there is something that we're trying to find. Yeah, I have some of Let's talk about it. Okay. No, she knows we can't be the one this exchange between the political officer of um, the Israeli embassy and a parliamentary staffer about taking down, is the phrase used, Alan Duncan is outrageous, it's shocking. This is uh, clearly a deliberate attempt by a foreign government to interfere in the workings of British democracy and to secure the destruction of the career of a minister in the British government. Thank you very much. And I'd like to thank the organizers for um, giving this uh, film it's, you know, some, some more attention. It was uh, put out by Al Jazeera in January. And um, at the outset, I should say that uh, we had an incredibly courageous and daring uh, undercover uh, Robin, who if you see the, uh, uh, the film, all four parts you can get on YouTube. Um, he, he really kept his cool and, um, and his wits. And um, it was extraordinary journalism as a result. Um, and uh, yeah, I had a great team that worked on it. Um, I'm happy to be here and um, uh, answer any questions that you guys have. I, I, I thought that at the beginning, and, and I, I don't want to have too many remarks because I think it's, it's late in the day and actually it'd be good to get to your questions. Um, but I would just, uh, if you do watch this series, just for a moment, go through the intellectual exercise of removing the word Israel and, and thinking if this were any other government, okay? If they were behaving in such a way, doing a brazen, broad daylight, covert influence campaign, astroturfing, setting up you know, NGOs that are friends of Israel, but actually they're funded by the embassy or created by the senior political officer of the embassy, who they tried, to, who they tried after they threw him under the bus to pawn him off as like he was like a summer intern or something. Um, just imagine what the hysteria would be. Um, it actually, it was kind of painful when I, I tried to imagine what would the reaction be in America, because they really got their backs up in Britain over this. They, they know where this ends. They know 
which direction the APAC train goes. And they don't want that to happen in their country. And incidentally, that's why the Ministry of Strategic Affairs sees London as ground zero. And that's why they were, I think, probably very careless. I think they didn't even acknowledge that um, and, 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 and arrogant to a degree in how aggressively they were doing this um, because it's, it's lost ground to them. Here, it's, it's friendly, right? They don't, they don't need to be so brazen um, in some respects. Um, so if you do watch it, just imagine if this were another country, particularly I, I've been abroad for 10 years, but every time I, I look at the news here, it's uh, hyperventilation about you know, Russia and, and et cetera. Just imagine if, if Russia was doing this, what, what, what would be said. Um, the, the clips that were selected by the organizers, um, that was Jean Fitzpatrick. Um, uh, her, um, her very painful experience, it was the first Labor Party conference she went to, and it ended in her a, a spectacular scene that, by the grace of God, our camera captured. And, and by the way, it was interesting to note that they, they accused us later of cooking that up, which was you know, part of the, the smear of, uh, you know, that, that follows a, a production like this. Um, but uh, Jean Fitzpatrick um, had this exchange with an MP, Joan Ryan, and just moments before, if you watch the film, Shai Massot from the Israeli Embassy was talking to Joan Ryan about giving a million pounds to the Labor Friends of Israel. So her assertion that they have a lot of money was really, uh, and, and, and the newspapers in Britain described the LFI as powerful. Um, so how, you know, how she goes from zero to anti-Semitic, it's, it's, um, it's a very painful thing to, to have to go through. So for activists in Britain, I mean, imagine if we hadn't exposed that. She probably would never have gone to an event again. It took some great degree of convincing to get her to talk about this. First to find her, and then to get her to talk about this. She was, you know, um, hurt by the whole thing. And these are some of the tactics that they use to, you know, reputationally kneecap you from discussing the issue. And it's, apart from being, you know, morally outrageous, it's... Um, it's, it's offensive on so many levels in that regard, but it's actually, um, it diminishes the actual scourge of anti-Semitism when you just throw that around casually because you don't like the questions you're getting on two-state solution. So, I, I, I mean, to the credit of the Labor Party, they actually exonerated her. Um, and it was, uh, we, we interviewed her after and she gave us, you'll see in the film, she shared with us, with us the investigator's letter clearing her. So due process did work in that case. And... Um, we thought it was important to, to include in the film. Um, I, I think we should just go to some questions because yeah, I mean, you, you guys have, I know many of you have seen the film. Um, but, if you haven't, you can, you can see it on YouTube, Al Jazeera, just type in Al Jazeera the lobby uh, and all four parts are there. There's a great comment. Uh, I guess they want you to respond to this. It says, quote, how quickly the British government dismissed and quote, forgot about, unquote, this offense after the Israeli apology. Is any government agency pursuing this, to your knowledge? Yeah. Um, so that, I, I, I've, I've, a few people have asked that. Um, it, it was not covered up in Britain. I can tell you, I stayed there the whole week and went to air. It was on the front page of several newspapers. It was in every single British newspaper. Um, it was, I mean, the, the day the story broke, BBC, the establishment media, Sky, IT, ITN, they were satellite trucks in front of the Israeli embassy live, particularly because of the, you know, the threat to take down Sir Alan Duncan. So they, they did not paper over that at all. It probably here, I, I, if I recall, there was something uh, about uh, uh, 
Trump's alleged um, activities, indiscretions in Russia of a sexual nature that came out about the same time. So maybe that was missing from the debate here, but if you look and review the media. Um, second, in terms of impact, they, the Parliamentary Foreign Affairs Committee, did, they're forming a committee to study foreign influence as a result of this film. March 30th is when they, they called for uh, evidence, so that's just in a couple days from now. Um, these, as was mentioned, the, the senior political officer was sent home disgrace. Uh, Maria Strazzolo, the parliamentary officer who entertained the plot, was forced to resign um, uh, under pressure from uh, number 10 Downing. So, and, and Boris Johnson even said when he was asked, um, I think by uh, Winston Churchill's grandson on the floor of the parliament, uh, about this, what are we doing? He said, well, whatever cover Shai Massoud had has well and truly been blown, so we should just move along now. So the, definitely the, the May government tried to move it along, but um, they had, they had picked the wrong victim in, in Sir Alan Duncan, um, and, and he has a lot of supporters. So uh, the Tories are, are keeping this issue, and rightfully, I mean, it's, it's outrageous uh, to try to get to the bottom of it. Um, so it, it did have impact there. Uh, you know, here, the domestic news cycle, I mean, it's anyone's guess. Great. Um, can you talk a bit more about the extent of APAC or other groups link and linkage to these British groups? Generally speaking, um, APAC, that was one of the surprising things for us to see that, um, that they've, they've got an office in London, that they're trying to take their message there, and that's just not going to work. I mean, it's just, it's just, and I mean, it's, it's just, it's classic American thinking, you know, that, you know, we'll just take it there and they'll do it. And no, it's, it's a just, it's a different landscape there. And, um, you know, the role of money in politics, okay, we have this abomination that you're all aware of called Citizens United and unlimited, that doesn't exist there. Um, they, they, they have, uh, they have much more, um, ability and space to discuss this issue than we have here in the United States. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, of course, we sent, we sent uh, when, when he was invited to it, we're like, yeah, that's something you should definitely attend. Um, and when we, what we, you know, there's a congressman, um, I'm forgetting his name now, from South Carolina who went there to speak. And, um, and APEC, you know, put him on, you know, the, the dog and pony show, and, and he was talking about the good, um, uh, uh, the good relationship between Congress and APAC, and um, I, I, I don't think I don't think there's any British politician who aspires to see Britain reach the stage that we are here in the United States. In fact, if anything, they they, they value their sovereignty and they want to have less of that um, as a result of our failed experiment. It, this question says, the British government saw Israel as a foreign country. Would this happen in the U.S. where it's not necessarily seen as a foreign country, but an extension of the U.S.? Please comment. There's a paradox there. Um, uh, so in Britain, MI5 and uh, in some part of MI6, the, those are the, the domestic security. Um, sorry, MI5 is domestic security. MI6 is the foreign. They're responsible for counterintelligence. And when I spoke with people, um, they indicated that because Israel's an ally, they're not really watched um, in the same way. Uh, in, in the United States, that's, that's, you know, that's not the case. Um, the Israeli government, the embassy, its activities are watched, are monitored, and they do step out of line, and people do get arrested from time to time. They do get expelled from time to time. And we have something in the United States called the Foreign Agent Registration Act, 
which sets a bright line of, you know, at what point you are working for or against a piece of legislation on behalf of a foreign government. You have to declare it. You guys know this from Michael Flynn, of course. Um, so there, there is a, a, a line, and if you touch that, it's very dear consequences. In Britain, they don't have that. Um, so they don't, uh, the British services don't monitor these. They just, because they view them as partners, it would be an embarrassing thing. We wouldn't necessarily want to bring that to light. But because it was so flagrant, in this case, they are investigating it. Um, so I hope that answers the question. Uh, another question, did you receive any sort of uh, blowback for your work? Any retribution? I, I mean, I, um, I, I did the Palestine papers, I did the Arafat investigation, I did Camp David. I mean, uh, it, there's, there's, there's the, usually, the usual trolls who, but I, you know, we just tune them out. I mean, if I could say anything, it's, it's, it's other journalists, and I realize Jazeera has good resources because these kinds of things, um, they take time, they're expensive. Um, but I, I hope that there's more journalism in this regard because um, exposing injustice is it's a part of our job. And um, a lot of people assume that you can never do something like this. And they just do that. They make that assumption because they never tried. And actually, when, um, when we had the grounds to start this case, um, we didn't know if it would succeed. You know, and, and uh, you know, you don't know, of course, until you step up to the plate and try. And in this case, it, it did succeed. So I hope that um, there'll be more journalism of this kind and, and people don't be intimidated. In fact, when, when we put this stuff in there, the, um, particularly like what happened with Gene Fitzpatrick, um, exposing those tactics of trying to silence debate, journalists, again, like I said, reputational kneecapping, it only bothers, it only affects you if you let it. If you expose people that, you know, doing this deliberately in an underhanded way, it actually, it, it speaks more negatively about them. And the Ministry of Strategic Affairs has brazenly said in their own Knesset testimony that they're going to discredit people, okay? It's Israeli journalists write about this. So um, the idea, and they're, they're, not, they're not doing this from Tel Aviv, they're doing this in the United States, they're doing this in Britain. Um, and I think that that's a matter of extreme public interest, and journalists should be reporting on it. Excellent. Uh, we've got a hard stop in about five minutes for the uh, reception. But there have been rumors of a certain young uh, person circulating Washington, D.C. with lots of cash hosting parties. Um, do you plan on doing, or have you done, an undercover series on gatekeepers in the U.S. who do the same thing here. So, uh, well, one, I wouldn't be a good investigative journalist if I talked about projects that we do or don't do. Um, I, I knew you were going to ask that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm aware of the tablet article. Uh, interestingly, they, they never contacted Al Jazeera for comment. We, we always do that, by the way, um, anyone that we feature in undercover footage. Um, but I, I do think that such a program could be done here in the United States. I think it would be done anywhere. If a journalist puts, if the, if the editorial people at an organization have the will to expose something, there's nothing to stop them from it. Excellent. It says, um, publicly, Benjamin Netanyahu has talked about technology relations with Russia. He met uh, Vladimir Putin in September 2015. Uh, I'm not sure where this question is going, but... 
Uh, do you have any comments on these ties? I don't even understand that question, so I'm not even going near it. Okay. Um, let's see if we have anything else that's directly related. Um, why hasn't Al Jazeera? I can't read this question. I'm sensing this is fan mail. Okay. <laughs> can't read it. Sorry. Um, write clearly, people, please. I think. Uh, is there any shocking thing connected to this series that you simply couldn't air on Al Jazeera? And this is a two-part question. Uh, what led you to this story, sir? That's. I'll say. I mean, I. Yeah, there was things that we couldn't put in that I. I um, had we had sufficient evidence. Everything on in there. First off, this kind of work it requires not just lawyers, very good lawyers, um, to make sure that you're on the right side of the law, that you're able to withstand public scrutiny. And, um, and we had that from inception to broadcast, and you know it's 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 something that was was built into the program. Um, sometimes you get good information, but if you don't have a second source, it's it's tenuous. It, your legal risk goes way up, and you have to make a decision: Do I um, put that in because it's probably, or do I leave it out and maybe another day it'll become relevant again? And, so there, there was an element of that in, in a few instances, and I'm not going to talk about it because if I couldn't put it in my film, I'm not going to talk about it here at the, the press club. Um, the other, uh, yeah, what, what led you to this story? If you can talk about that. So, again, the, the Israeli government is, is quite open about its countermeasures against the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. Last spring, they said, in, in, in an INSSC, is it I, 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 I forget. The, it was a conference in Tel Aviv. They talked about eliminating Omar Barghouti. Okay, and it was the, it was the vague, vaguely worded eliminate, politically eliminate. By the way, they talked that way about Yasser Arafat. And, okay, so when they, when they say they're going to eliminate someone, that, that doesn't mean just, you know, take away his ability to travel, <laughs> which they did, actually. Um, so they've also been quite open about the amount of money they're spending, and they're hiring former um, people from the security services, Shinbet, Shabak, they're bringing people in with a security background to counter BDS and treating it as an intelligence matter, as in, you know, an information war. Um, they also talk about smearing, and, 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 and we heard from Yossi Melman, a security expert who's former military intelligence, about how they will try to discredit people through hacking and, and other, you know, unsavory tactics. Um, Britain is a, is a center of their focus. And um, now, in the, in, the, in the very beginning, we, um, our undercover, uh, got very lucky, frankly. And that's a lot of times what's, like in life, luck is required. And that the person who made his um, introduction at the very beginning, he started going to these events. And he's Mr. at the Labor Party, he's Mr. Pro-Israel. He, he stood out pretty soon as, wow. There's not many of you. And um, the embassy, they, they spotted him as someone that they could work with. And they actually wanted him to work from the embassy. It's, if you watch the, when you watch the series, they were pitching him. They were trying to recruit our undercover. 
I mean, the lawyer, we were talking about, what the hell do we do if he's going to work at the embassy and he's wearing our wire? I mean, how are we going to get him in? I mean, all sorts of tactical questions we had to go through. Like, and in the end, we decided, you know, play it along, but, but we can't accept in the end because it just, I don't think it's ever been done. But not that it, it you know, just technically we couldn't, we wouldn't have been able to pull it off. I don't think anyone can. Um, but he met Shai Masot from very early on. And from very early on, Shai Masot um, wanted to co-opt him, wanted to get him to do things, and was teaching him how to set up organizations and coaching him. And yeah, talk on, please. I mean, it worked, it worked to our favor. You've got to watch the entire series, uh, Clayton Fisher. Amazing, amazing Swisher. work. Swisher. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Uh, we've got, please. Thank you.